us and we're going to kick off with Danny. I wonder if anybody else picked up on this kind of cloud of pessimism and negativity that was surrounding 2019 as we kind of approached the new year. Here's a little selection of just a few newspaper headlines that kind of caught my eye. 10 things to worry about in 2019. <laughs> Brexit chaos, NHS woe, predictions for 2019. 2019, the year of reckoning. Genuine headline. <laughs> um, but here's my personal favorite. Things to watch out for in 2019. Plenty of doom and gloom. <laughs> cheery stuffy. <laughs> um, well, you can't avoid the growing pessimism, worry and hopelessness that is being expressed up and down the country and across the world. Conversations with our family, our friends, our colleagues, our neighbours, they all gravitate around these issues. But in Christ, we live under a completely different story. This year, we actually have a huge opportunity to live radically countercultural lives, but in a remarkably simple way, be joyful. So how can we be a joyful people in the face of such a worrying world? Well, we're going to turn to Psalm 16, and we're going to read verses 5 through to 11. So I'll just, it should pop up on the screen as well behind me. Excellent. Uh, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So the world is telling us there's a lot to worry about right now, but God tells us actually there's so much more to be joyful about. God alone is our portion. Our portion is not our current circumstance. It's not anything that's happening in the world around us. God is our unshakable security, hope, and counsel. And he is where our joy comes from. We find the fullness and abundance of joy in God, our giver of life. And joy is not something that we actually have to manufacture ourselves. It's not something we can drum up through positive thinking or ignoring the reality around us. True joy is a wonderful gift from God. It's the effect of knowing God and knowing his eternal promises. We're going to focus in just on the last verse of this psalm. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. These three short lines allude to three of the different ways in which God abundantly blesses us with joy. We have the path of life, which we find in Jesus. We have God's presence that actually lives now with us by his spirit. And we have God's promises, his promises of pleasures forevermore. So first, we'll just look at Jesus, the path of life. God has showed us the path of life through Jesus. 
Jesus lived the perfect life, and he taught us exactly what it means to walk that same path. By his life, by his cross, and by his resurrection, he's invited us personally to follow him and to join him on this path. Jesus tells us that as we do that, there is joy in store when we follow him, when we trust him, and when we abide in him. John chapter 15, verses 9 to 11, Jesus says these words. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Now, just that first line there, Jesus loves us in the same way that God loves his son. Isn't that absolutely incredible? That is enough cause for us to be jumping around, to be clapping our hands, to be cheering, to be singing wild songs of joy. The one verse alone just completely blows my mind. And the more I think about it, the more I let it rest in my head and in my heart, the more incredible that is. We have absolutely no cause to worry when we realize that the creator of the universe, the God of infinite power and wisdom, loves you and he cares for you that much. The more we fix our minds on that truth, our worries and fears look a lot less daunting. Jesus reassures us so many times that we have no need to worry because we have a gracious God in heaven who cares for us who has numbered the very hairs on our head and has all of our days set out before him. Jesus tells us these things, the very things that give him joy, so that the same things that give Jesus joy can be the things that give us joy as well. He is the hope that this worrying world really needs. He is the light for the darkness of this world. Jesus is the peace, the calm for the storms that surround us. He is the way, the truth, and life that every soul is searching for. The Holy Spirit, the fullness of joy. The psalmist tells us in God's presence is fullness of joy. And I think it's quite easy for us to get caught up in thinking that being in God's presence is reserved for being here at church or for when we're reading our Bibles or we're at the Christian festivals, these holy places. But actually, as believers... We are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. God's presence is with us no matter where we are, who we are with, or how we're feeling. So there is fullness of joy to be found no matter where we are as we engage, listen, and talk with the Spirit in the everyday. Romans 15:13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of of the Holy Spirit. So as we go about our days, we are the carriers of God's presence and his joy into this worrying world. We want the people around us to see and to be blessed by this overflow of hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I know it won't always feel like this is true because we have bad days. We live in a fallen world and there's a very real tension between our spirit and our flesh, but we need to continue to lean on God in those moments. 
a few years ago, I remember I was playing the bass in a worship band at a conference through in Glasgow. And so I was looking at a couple of hundred people absolutely giving their all in worship to God. They were worshiping in the spirit. They were worshiping with a real tangible sense of joy. But I was feeling pretty flat. I was kind of having this inner dialogue with God the whole time. I was stuck in a strange, cynical mindset that I found it really hard to shake. And this had been going on for a long time. And so all the while keeping that groovy bass going, I prayed a pretty simple prayer. I just said to God, God, I want to be joyful in worship. And actually, that was a turning point in my life. Ever since then, I feel really joyful when I worship God. And it was an amazing work of the Spirit that happened in that very moment. But actually, it's completely changed me since. So I would really want to encourage you to pray for the Spirit to give you joy. That's a prayer the Spirit will love to answer. And so call out to God for joy when you're not feeling it, when you're struggling or when you're feeling weighed down. Because as I say, the Spirit can give us joy, the fullness of joy in an instant. But alongside this, we also have that continual work of the Spirit, the assurance that the Spirit is always with us, always changing us, always shaping us, and increasing our joy as we continue to walk with Christ. Now, God promises... That was a wee word jumble there. God promises us pleasures forevermore. We see that in the end of that psalm. And I don't know if you've noticed as well, people are actually drawn to hope. Hope gets people listening because it's a genuine desire of their hearts. Now, talking of hearts, back in October, just down the road at Tyne Castle Stadium, there was hope in the air. Out of nowhere, Hearts Football Club were sitting top of the Scottish Premiership after seven games. Couldn't believe it. There was hope that this could be Hearts' year. Maybe they could win the league. Now, this hope suddenly saw them attracting huge attendances to their games. Games that wouldn't have sold out in previous years were now selling out. A stadium that had gone a bit quiet because people didn't really have much to sing about was suddenly bouncing. People were singing, grown men going wild. And this was simply the effect of hope. This was an attractive hope. And how much greater is the hope that we have in Jesus than the hope guys have got in Hearts FC? I mean, we've got so much cause for celebration. And when I think back as well to actually what made me decide to give my life to Jesus, to follow him, ultimately it was hope. I was in a place of despair. I felt totally hopeless. But in the life of Jesus and in the promises of God, I found hope. In Isaiah chapter 35, verse 10, it says, Those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. The year ahead is another year in God's plan. Part of his eternal plan to bring an end to all sorrow, sighing, and suffering. Jesus is coming back and he's going to set everything right. And rejoicing is going to reach whole new levels, like nothing we've seen before. And this is what we have to look forward to. Our joy is a hopeful joy. We can get excited about this. And there is joy to be had in reflecting on God's eternal promises, these promises of pleasures forevermore. Take joy from knowing what God has done, what he is currently doing, 
and what he's about to do. Remind yourself of these promises. Praise God for them. Thank him for them and rejoice in them. Our joy that comes from God is assured, abundant, eternal, hopeful, and enduring. This joy is set in stone. It is secured for eternity in the unwavering promise and victory of God. So I think January and 2019 is going to look very differently if we live like this. We could look back at those headlines I mentioned at the start and we could actually rewrite them with the hope we have in Christ. Thousands of reasons to rejoice in God in 2019. God's kingdom grows. Jesus heals predictions for 2019. 2019, the year of the Lord's favor. Captives freed, sight restored to the blind. And things to watch out for in 2019. Plenty of joy and hope. I think it's plenty to rejoice about. Now let's welcome Nathaniel. Wow, I'm, <clears throat> I'm feeling joyful now. Um, if there's one thing that could quash my joy, though, it's the thought of jogging tomorrow. And um, that's exactly what I'm going to be doing because um, last year, Dan Hudson, one of the leaders at this church, challenged me to a 10K race. And the last time I did a long-distance jog, I think I was 15, which was a good while ago now. Um, but Dan sort of implied that he could beat me, and because I'm the youngest of many siblings, instead of just saying, yeah, you probably could, I said, you're on. And so now in May, uh, Dan and I will be racing the Edinburgh 10K um, uh, for uh, Bethany Christian Trust. We're both running for them. Um, and uh, I need to change. Um, <laughs> I've, I've, I've bought some gear, I bought a t-shirt and some shorts and that little armband that I can put my phone in so I can listen to podcasts while I run. Um, but that, that isn't actually going to win me the 10K. Um, I need to change, I need to get fitter and I need to become the type of person uh, that trains for this kind of thing. And it's, it's, it's that time of year really when we think about change, when we, we look at ourselves and, and think, something's not right. I, there are things about myself that I would like to change. And while this was just uh, the result of kind of foolish competitiveness, um, it's, it's a secondary type of change that I'm looking for in 2019. Uh, as this year approaches, I want to look more like Jesus. I want to change and grow to become more like Jesus over the course of this year. And many of you will be feeling the same way. Um, you will want to change, uh, not out of competitiveness, but out of a, a sense of incompleteness, a, a sense that actually there's, there's more that God has for you. There's more in your character that can grow. And um, I'm here to encourage you today, God can change you. So if you'll turn with me to um, Philippians. Sorry, I still had it open on Danny's psalm. There you go. Philippians 1, um, verses 3 to 11. It says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, 
that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. So this is good news for you. God can change you. And do you know, uh, everyone else is looking for this. Everyone else wants to change. Uh, Self-help, self-care, these are all huge industries at the moment. On Netflix, you can find uh, a way to improve your life by tidying up, and you can also find a way to improve your life by buying lots of stuff. And every blog will tell you something in between. They're all saying, uh, you need to change. Everyone recognizes uh, that Something in them needs to grow. Something in them needs to change. And um, we as Christians are the only ones with the real answers for how to do that. Um, And so I have three encouragements for you today. um, All under the theme that God can change you. One is that God is doing a work. Two is that you can join in with this work. And the third thing is, is that work is ongoing. So what we're aiming for is uh, the last sections of this verse in Philippians where it says uh, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Uh, You may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruits of righteousness. So we're looking for greater knowledge, greater purity, a greater insight, um, filled with the fruit of righteousness. That, That sounds good to me. But it also sounds impossible. It sounds like Jesus. But God is doing a work. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So he began the work when he revealed his love for you uh, and re- through the sacrifice of his son Jesus and his resurrection. And the moment you put your trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you're a Christian and that's what you've done here today, then that's the moment he began a good work in you. And now he's continuing to do it until it comes to completion. But it's a, it's a slow process. And um, many of you here this evening are quite young. Um, if you're part of my generation or younger, you're used to things being quite immediate, quite instant. Um, and Sometimes change is a little slower than that. So when I say God is doing a work in you, you might think, well, I want to look like Jesus tomorrow. And so I'd encourage you to um, maybe talk to someone who's been a Christian for uh, a few decades and ask them what they were like and, and where they've come and how they've changed. And you will hear a story of transformation, of leaving old lives behind, of being brought into the fullness of what God has for them. Um, many... Uh, people who've been Christians for decades will look back on their old selves with a bit of a knowing chuckle um, while also being aware that their work is ongoing too, that God is still at work in them, that there's still change to go. Um, this change happens when uh, God gives you a spirit, which is something that happens when, when we become Christians. He, he gives you a spirit as a seal of salvation, the Bible says. And um, uh, talks in this passage about the fruits being filled with the fruit of righteousness, which reminded me of the fruit of the Spirit. And these are the things that the Spirit brings out in you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. These are the traits of Jesus. These are the traits which 
God is bringing out in you gradually over time. Um, because the Spirit dwells in you, as Danny was just reminding us of a moment ago, you have the Spirit working you, bringing these things out. And, but the thing about growing fruit is it takes time. Um, my uh, father-in-law has some grapes that he's growing, um, but he won't actually see fruit from them for a couple of years because uh, the first winter they die off almost completely and then they come back a bit stronger, and then they die off, and they come back a bit stronger. And now, that grape's quite an extreme example, and um, he does live in a place that gets very, very cold at wintertime. But growing fruit is a gradual process, and sometimes it does come in seasons, but we know, we have uh, conviction because of what the Bible tells us, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. So I just want you to uh, come away from here today knowing that God is at work in you. God is changing you. God, through his spirit, is making you more like his son, Jesus. Uh, the Bible says elsewhere that um, though our outward bodies are wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. That's just biblical truth, that God is changing you. But my second piece of encouragement is that you can join in with this work. Now, make no mistake, God began the work, God will complete the work, God provides the power uh, in order to change, but think of it like um, there's a tap that you can turn on or a, a light switch that you can flick to allow a greater flow of God's power through you to uh, help this changing process, to, to bring about fruit. Um, and uh, there are some pretty obvious things that will help uh, change you, you know, like reading the Bible. I really would encourage you uh, to join in with that plan. We've started it, and it's already been a massive encouragement to me. Um, uh, praying lots. We're going to have a week of prayer coming up. Join in with that. Uh, work on your prayer life. Being in community, actually being around other godly people um, will help you grow and change. Uh, but there's one thing I want to talk about particularly today, which is... Uh, Look for acts of difficult obedience. And this is one of the ways that I think um, change can happen. Now, by God's grace, he makes some acts of obedience to God's word easier for us. Um, uh, things that he, he's shaped your character um, to, to find it easier to live in a godly way. But then there are other things that are more difficult. And it's actually in the acts of difficult obedience uh, that we can get, um, that we can grow our character just a little bit faster, where we're putting our act, where, where we're putting our trust in God. It's a sacrificial thing, being obedient when it's hard. Um, which is why I think you know sometimes we make excuses for not changing. It's like, well, I, I'm just not like that, so that's not who I am. It's like, well, actually, God has called you to something greater than yourself, greater than uh, your personality, and actually. In making those acts of sacrificial obedience, God is going to do a great thing within you. So, let's think of some examples here. Um, perhaps you know in yourself that you just find generosity hard. Um, for whatever reason, you just find it difficult to be generous. One answer could be to say, well, that's just what I'm like. I'm, I'm just not a very generous person. Another thing would be to make an act of sacrificial obedience. Start giving. Start with just a, a small amount of giving. And God's going to grow and change you through that. 
and then it's going to make obedience a bit easier the next time, and then God will change you, and then you move on to greater acts of obedience. Perhaps you find rest difficult. Can I encourage you to take one full day from waking to sleeping where you don't think about work at all? Um, perhaps you recognize in yourself a self-centeredness. A sacrificial act of obedience here would be to make an aim to encourage somebody else every single day. For me, I recognize in myself actually a fear of what strangers think of me. And I know that that's actually held me back from uh, times when God has called me to talk to strangers on the street or to pray for them. And uh, I'm, I, I've made a goal to talk to some more people, and I'm, I'm actually uh, yet to do that so far this year. But I am walking into the year in faith that God began a good work in me, and he's going to continue it to completion. And I, at some point, will make have to make an act of sacrificial obedience where I'm going to talk to a stranger and it'll be really hard at first but then God's going to grow and change me through that and it's going to make the next time easier and the next time easier now God still began the good work in salvation when he gave you a new heart that made it even possible to be obedient to God in the first place but um, through these acts of obedience you're going to slowly become more and more like Jesus. And it starts with small things, and then he gives you faith for greater acts of obedience. Um, later on in Philippians, it talks about continue to work out your salvation in fear and trembling. And I think that's what, this is what that looks like, working out your salvation. But the verse doesn't finish there. It says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his purpose. So these two things happen together at the same time, where you're taking steps, but God is the one who's changing your heart as you do it. And he will see it through to completion. But then my final point is, so we, God is doing a work in you, but you can take part in that work. And it's just so important to remember that the work is ongoing. There'll be some things that you don't manage this year that you really wanted to, or you might feel like change is slow, but... Paul says to the Philippian church, all of you share in God's grace with me. We've been saved by grace, and we live in grace, and we're a community of grace. So we're surrounded by people who are growing and changing all the time. We're surrounded by people who God is at work in, and we're going to make mistakes, but God's grace is sufficient for that. And so our grace should be sufficient for one another as well as we live among one another and we're all growing and we're all changing. We have grace for one another's mistakes and your friends here in church will have grace for your mistakes too. And God's grace for your mistakes is, is so much greater than that still. So that's my encouragement for you is that you can actually change except it's God that changes you. So God is doing a work in you you can take part in that work, and this work is going to go on for the rest of your life. We're going to hear from Hannah now. Good evening. I'm very excited because Nat's covered one of my points already. Um, can I have my next slide, please? Thank you. This is King's Cross Station in London, and I was there last week. You can actually see where I sat. I sat on the little cement bench, and I was early for my train, and I thought I would do some people watching, which I really enjoy. As I was people watching, a lady came to sit beside me. She had grey hair and lots of bags, and she began to smoke a cigarette. 
And as she smoked her cigarette, I had a thought, and my thought was this. I should ask her how her Christmas was. That was very swiftly followed by another thought, which was, oh, I, I wonder if that's the Holy Spirit prompting me to ask her how her Christmas was. And that was quickly followed by another thought, which was, oh, no. <laughs> Do you know what people don't like in London? They don't like it when strangers talk to them. <laughs> and then my next thought was, it's just a bit weird. And the thing is with when you respond to God and it starts a bit weird, you kind of have the sense that it might get a bit weirder as you progress into the situation. Because if I ask her how her Christmas is, she might tell me something sort of deep and meaningful and then I might need to pray for healing for her or something for her. And I, Oh, I didn't really want to do that. Um, these were the thoughts I had while she had her cigarette. She finished her cigarette, she took up her bags, and she walked away from me. During the time it took her to do that, I managed to convince myself that it really probably wasn't God, and it really was just a bit too weird to do. But as she walked away from me, I had a distinct feeling that perhaps I'd missed an opportunity and then I remembered I was speaking on responding to God and that I'd probably have to tell you this story. The Bible gives us very direct instructions called commands and encourages us to obey those instructions to live fruitfully in relationship with God. Jesus says in John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. The Bible also gives us examples of people being directed to do things in direct circumstances. And they remind us to be listening out for the voice of God in our day-to-day -day lives. Jesus says in John 10, my sheep recognize my voice. I know them and they follow me. Now, if you're a Christian here today, my description of my London experience might be familiar to you. You might sometimes have had a slight prompt from the spirit or a thought in your head that maybe something should happen, maybe you should speak, Maybe he should cross the road and speak to that person. And my, I'm interested to know what we have done in those situations. Is our thought, that probably is God? Or is our thought, that's a bit weird, it's probably not? If you're not a Christian here today, and this is all very strange to you, I'd like to take this opportunity to say that this might be something that would really encourage and excite you about a walk with God in faith, because our God truly is relational, and he really is conversational, and he's very excited about impacting both your life and the lives of people around you. Jesus, when he was on earth, interacted with all kinds of people in all kinds of ways, and as he did, those people's lives changed and they changed for the better. It was the Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus to do those things, and that same Spirit is given to the church to equip us to do those things. So now, the deeds of Jesus, sorry, Jesus, <laughs> the, deeds, the deeds of Jesus are the birthright of the church. That was important to me to say. The deeds of Jesus are the birthright of the church. We could be meeting people at any point, in any of the places where we work and live, and we should be expecting that God would use us to speak to them and reveal something of his kingdom and reveal something of himself. After this slightly disappointing encounter, I got onto the train, and I went back to the thing that I had thought that had made me not speak to this woman. And my thought had been, it's just a bit too weird. 
This led me to start making a list of all the things in the Bible, all the times in the Bible where people have been asked to do strange things. As you may imagine, it's really a comprehensive list. From the very beginning, there is a sense in which God calls people out of their comfort zones, and it really stretches their faith. Noah was asked to build a boat when there had never been rain. Abraham was told to expect a son, even though he was 100 years old. Gideon, a mighty warrior, had amassed an army to fight against his enemies. And God said, you've got too many people. If you fight with this many people, you'll be tempted to think you won by your own power. So I need you to reduce it down. I need you to reduce it down a bit more. When Jesus first met his disciples, he told them to put their fishing nets back out into the water, even though they knew from a night of fishing there were no fish. These are circumstantial commandments. These are times in which God, the Spirit, spoke into the situation and asked for something to happen. There are also very direct commandments which were also given, which are also a bit strange. Now, Nat has covered some of these, and one of them is generosity. So the church is told, quite directly, to sell your possessions and give them to the poor, to give away our riches. But we were the poor who received the riches of Christ. So when we do what he did, we show his kingdom. We show the kingdom of heaven. It's winning. It's attractive. We're also commanded in Matthew 4, 44, to love your enemies and bless those who curse you. That's a really strange thing to be asked to do. It's very countercultural. But we were the enemies Jesus loved. We cursed him and he blessed us. So when we, the church, do this, we are a picture, we are a demonstration, we are the love of God being displayed in people's lives. This isn't short-chained stuff. Nat's right, when you obey God and it's difficult, that's powerful. What you're saying is, I lay down my understanding of this. I lay down my pride. I lay down my framework and I want to see the kingdom of heaven. Now, I'm not advocating that we should do weird things for weird things' sake. Nor am I saying that when God moves, it is always strange. What I'm saying is that the kingdom of heaven is not like the kingdom of earth, and nor would we want it to be. God says in Isaiah 55, My ways are not your ways, nor are my thoughts your thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, that's how different my ways are different to your ways and higher my thoughts are to yours. In each of those stories of Noah building an ark and Abraham waiting for a son, it was necessary that they submit to those instructions because they display the full glory and full strength of God. Does that make sense? When we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that's not abstract. That's a call for the church to be obedient in the things they've been asked to do. One of them is obey the things in the Bible. The other one is expect that in your daily life, God really is going to speak to you and really move through you. An example of this 
is Philip in the New Testament and the Ethiopian. It's in Acts 8 if you'd like to turn there. This is, a period, this is a period in a book in the Bible. It's after Jesus has walked on earth, he has died, he's been resurrected, and he's ascended into heaven where he's on his throne. And he's left his church with his Holy Spirit, which was the same spirit that lived in him when he was on the earth. So all the deeds that Jesus did, he's commanded his followers to do. By the way, that's you now. Philip is praying one day. And an angel appears to him and tells him to go to a particular road on a particular street. So Philip, obedient to the angel, gets up, goes to the street, goes to the road, where he is given this instruction. The, Philip told, the, the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. We don't read this until just a few verses later, but this chariot is moving because when he approaches the chariot, the chariot stops. So Philip's being effectively asked to run alongside a moving car with no other instructions. He hasn't been told why. He hasn't been told what's going to happen. He hasn't been told what to say. He's just been told to go alongside a chariot and stay there. This is a weird thing to be asked to do. This isn't normal. This is unusual. Philip would probably have had lots of questions. But Philip knew that when you obey God, God turns up. So Philip begins to run alongside this chariot. And as he's running along, what should he hear? But an Ethiopian man reading aloud to himself verses from Isaiah that spoke of Jesus' life and death. Philip doesn't at this point need any more instruction from the Holy Spirit because what he's supposed to do is blazingly obvious. He says, excuse me, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian says, how could I? unless somebody could explain it to me. Philip climbs into the carriage, explains the gospel, the Ethiopian is converted, baptized, and returns to a continent that wouldn't have heard the gospel unless Philip, being asked to run alongside a chariot, had just said, fine. This, in my experience, is quite common. When I ask God to speak to me, he doesn't give me explanations, and nor do I deserve them. My role as his follower is to say yes. And when the nagging thought comes in, this is too strange, remind myself there's a precedent in the Bible for that sort of thing happening. I'm going to tell you two stories now about my own life. Can I have my first slide, please? This story is about provision. Um, I'm a youth worker and an artist and a writer. I do youth work as a sort of regular gig, um, but I felt I had faith to reduce my hours in youth work um, and try for more art and writing, even though this was a quite a big financial risk for me. And as I, as I did so, I was praying. And as I was praying, I heard one word, and the word was murals. And I said, in all honesty, as ever, Lord, that's helpfully specific. I heard the word murals again, and I sort of just stored it up in my spirit and waited to see if any murals would arrive in my life. And they did. A couple of weeks later, I was walking along our canal, which is a couple of yards down the road here. I was walking with Jen Rawson, so she can tell you this is true, and I saw a man with a pencil marking up a mural on a large board. And I just felt complete permission to approach this complete stranger and ask him what he was doing, only because God had said murals. 
So I went over, I said hello, I said, I'm an artist, can I help? And he said, come back tomorrow. So I came back the next day, it was raining quite hard, but it turned out that he worked for the National Galleries of Scotland and was an art educator for youth. So I spent the day helping teenagers paint a mural, combining my two passions, art and youth work, and having a whale of a time. At the end of the day, I said to the man, how do you get this job? This is so much fun. And he said, you have to apply to be on the National Galleries of Scotland freelance list, and they're hiring at the moment. So I went home, sent off an application, and they gave me two posts at the National Galleries of Scotland, where I get paid four times as much per hour as I did in youth work, and I can kind of just pick my hours. You can see that mural when you walk past it. He didn't explain any of that to me. Honestly, he just said murals. If I hadn't gone, it wouldn't have happened. I want to encourage you, just go. The, the scary thought is, what if it's not God? What if it is? That could be exciting. My second story is this. I think it can be tempting to believe that God always speaks first in these situations, that he says go, and then we must go. But that actually takes a little room out for training. How can we invite God to speak to us in these ways? And I have a story about that too. This is about a year ago when I was really keen for God to speak to me, for me to listen and obey, even if it was frightening. And I was out in Broxburn, which is quite a poor area, and I was on my way to do some youth work. I was talking to God, and I was trying to think of a way that we could kind of play at this. And I said to God, I know, I'm going to buy a bunch of flowers, and then you're going to tell me who to give the flowers to. And that's how this is going to go. So I bought a bunch of flowers. And as I was walking towards the high school, where I had a high school group, suddenly I had just the thought of one particular member of staff. She works in the reception, which is always behind a really big sort of plastic partition. And I sensed that perhaps the flowers were for her. I got more and more nervous as I approached the school. It's a very strange thing to do to hand someone flowers. Although if you are going to approach a stranger with something to do with God, having props, I suggest, is really quite nice. So I approach the school, and I'm across the partition from her, and holding my flowers, and I just said, I know this is a bit strange, but I was praying for you, and I felt like God wanted to give you these flowers. Her face instantly changed, and unusually, she got up and came out, so there wasn't a partition between us. She took the flowers, and she gave me a hug. And then she said that the night before, her, her husband had been diagnosed with a brain tumor, and that she had turned to him and said, God must have forgotten us. So you can see how impactful that bunch of flowers on that morning would have been. And I find it striking that God didn't first say, buy some flowers. I just said, here are some flowers, who needs them? And it made me wonder how many people in our streets and in our schools and at work have had nights like that and have said, God has forgotten me, and we could be bringing them the truth that he hasn't. So that's my encouragement. Sometimes God will speak, and I encourage you to go. Sometimes you can ask, and I promise he'll turn up.